0: <clears throat> well, my name is Zach Carrera. I am the children's and youth pastor here at Restoration. As you heard Jenny Lynn say welcome, especially if you are visiting or maybe you're new just because you're visiting family here this holiday weekend, we're so glad to have you uh, this Sunday, this Thanksgiving Sunday. And so last, if you're new to uh, with us, uh, last Sunday we just finished our Acts sermon series. And next Sunday is when Advent starts. So this sermon is simply just a standalone sermon. And I chose to do 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, uh, since we had Thanksgiving this past weekend. And so I'm going to go ahead and invite one of our youth up here, Evan Tang, uh, to come up and read the passage for us. And as he's walking up, you can find this passage in your pew Bible on page 988. It's 988 And here. I'll have you um and it's a letter written by Paul you're going to find it in the New Testament again that's 988 so it's towards the back of your Bible there but I'll go ahead and hand it over to Evan to read for us and then we'll I'll pray and we'll jump in thanks be to God thanks Evan dear lord uh, thank you for your word thank you that you reveal your will to us thank you that you reveal yourself to us that we can come here each Sunday rejoicing, praying, giving thanks to you for who you are and what you've done. As we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and exhort us. If that's what we need, convict us. If that's what we need, send us out, Lord, with the spirit of joy and gratitude and prayer that we learn about today. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. One of the reasons that this passage came to mind for me a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to discern or determine what passage to preach on is because of how often Annie has to quote this passage to me in my daily life. And just 12 days ago, uh, we had both of our cars, well, we had safety, we had to do the, you know, the every two-year safety inspection for our cars. And that morning was actually a really beautiful morning. It was like 65 degrees, sunny. The kids were in a really great mood. And I kid you not, on the way to these safety inspections, because I scheduled them back to back, I even prayed. I said, God, I don't think anything's going to go wrong with these cars, but everything is so good right now. Let me remember before I get there that even if something does go wrong, you are good you provide everything's going to work out. And of course you know where this is going, not just one car, but somehow both cars failed safety inspection. I was like, what? Uh, so I go home to drop the first car off and Annie's like, "Uh, are you okay? <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> you know, I failed safety inspection. Um, but I was not rejoicing, praying, or giving thanks in this moment. Skip ahead a few days. They said that to fix this exhaust was gonna be $625, and I was able to find a place in the city that specializes only in exhaust, and I had awesome reviews, so you know, trust the Google review. I was like, I gotta try this out. So I went there, they isolated the problem, fixed it for only $190. It was amazing, but what actually happened that morning is I went, dropped the car off, paid. As soon as I left, I started thinking about all the things I needed to do in the next 48 hours before Sunday morning. And that drive to work was 30 minutes i start work you know i get here i'm working and i pause and i think i just saved 450 dollars, and the idea of rejoicing or giving thanks or praying didn't even cross my mind i was just too busy too focused on what was right in front of me of what i had to do to just pause and give thanks to the lord and i think that's true probably for many of us this morning, we can be so focused on our anxieties, our to-do lists, our stressors, maybe even grief that you're experiencing, as Dan mentioned in the liturgy, how the holidays can be hard, but we need this reminder, and we actually, when you think about it, it's very common in the Bible that God's people are forgetful, right? You think about Israel, they're in the wilderness, they're like, oh my gosh, we can't store up food, let's just go back to Egypt and be slaves again, you know, and God's like, what? Or you think about the disciples, they're in the boat, there's a big storm. And they're like, Jesus, don't you even care about us? Even though we've just seen multiple chapters of God's love and care for, uh, Jesus' love and care for them. And when you think about it, how much of their forgetfulness is tied to the stress that they're currently in, right? They're stressing out food, they're stressing out the storm, they're thinking about whatever's right in front of them, that they forget the goodness of God. They forget his presence for them. And so as Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians in the midst of this hardship that they're going through, which we'll get to here later in the sermon, it's this reminder that even in those hardships, even in the stress, even in the anxiety, even in the grief, even in the agony, we're still called to rejoice, to uh, pray, and to give thanks. And so we're actually going to break this sermon up just in those three short verses. It's only a few words, so it'll be a little bit shorter today, Uh, but we're going to start with The first phrase here in verse 16, it says, rejoice always. And so one thing that's really cool about this word rejoice in the Greek is that it's connected to the word grace. They have a similar or a same root word. So just like in English, we have audio and audience and audible. So they're different words, but they all relate to hearing and to listening. So we have rejoicing and grace have the similar root words. And so one uh, theological dictionary described it this way, that rejoicing is being conscious of grace. It's delighting in and being aware of God's grace. And I think this helps us understand when Paul tells us to rejoice always, it, it enlightens us to know that this is this awareness of what God has done for us. It's this awareness of who God is. So in the one sense, rejoice is not really a feeling, which might be kind of where our mind goes when we read this word. But it's actually this choice to be cognizant of God's goodness or this state of awareness that comes from choosing to think about and meditate on God's goodness. Now, what about the word always, though? right there's some of us in here who have gone through some really really hard things over the last few years and maybe even right now as we enter into this holiday season it can be hard to think about rejoicing always right you're like sure pastor jack rejoice i'm cool with that but always like right now no i'll rejoice next week when i get through whatever i'm going through but let's actually back up a little bit we're going to pan out and get some context uh, to who paul is writing to here in First Thessalonians. So if you were to go to Acts 17, we preached on this a few months ago, Acts 17 is where we learn about Paul, Silas, and Timothy planting the church in Thessalonica. They just left Philippi. They were just taken out of jail. They were rescued by that miracle. They go to Thessalonica. They're teaching about the gospel. They're spreading the good news. And after three weeks, there's a mob. Right. Sounds familiar. There's like always a mob wherever Paul goes for some reason. And they want to stone him. They want to kill him. They can't find him. So what do they do? They go to Jason's house. Jason was the guy housing them. They're like, we'll just drag you out here instead. They take him to the authorities. They're like, this dude is betraying Caesar. So this environment in Thessalonica, where these people are extremely upset, dragging these people into the city square, accusing them of betraying Caesar. That is the environment that Paul is writing to. They're actually living in hardship, in affliction. And we actually get some sense of this even if you were to look at other verses in Thessalonians. So if you, saw, if you see, um, you don't have to the turn there. I'm going to read it. But chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians, this is what Paul says. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's interesting. He's connecting. There's joy of the Holy Spirit even in affliction. And then in uh, chapter three, verses two to four, Paul says this, therefore, we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith so that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that you were destined for this. For when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we will suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, just as you know. So this call to rejoicing is not rejoice instead of grieving. We're called to rejoice In the grieving, Paul is aware that these new believers have gone through hardship. They're probably still in the midst of persecution. It didn't like change in the past three months. They were like, they were killing us and now we're really cool. All right. In the midst of their hardship, he's calling them to rejoice. And Paul knows this himself. Paul describes himself in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So we're not to dismiss our grief but we can actually rejoice in the midst of it. Why? Because rejoicing is being aware of the hope that we have in the midst of our hardship, right? Paul says in 1 1 Thessalonians 4.13, so a couple chapters earlier, we don't want you to grieve as those without hope. We want you to grieve as those with hope. So when we're called to rejoice, even in the extreme hardships, whether it's losing your job, Losing a marriage, losing a dream, even losing your own children. We're not to dismiss that despair, dismiss that agony, but we are called to rejoice in it because we have hope, the hope of a promised future, the reality that we have a heavenly father that sees us, that hears us, that's near. The promise of resurrected bodies, not just for ourselves, but resurrected bodies of the ones that we love, that we want to spend eternity with, with the Lord. That is the reality of why we can rejoice always, even in that hardship. Now, what if we don't feel that way? What if we're saying, okay, still, I'm with you, Zach, but I really don't feel that right now. I don't really experience that. How do I bring awareness to God's goodness? Or maybe on the other side, you're just really content. You're really secure right now. You feel like you've got everything in line, you're in place. And usually, oftentimes, when we're very content and secure, I know if I'm like in a good place, it's It's easy to actually forget about God in those moments, right? And so how do we bring ourselves to this awareness of God's goodness? And the answer to that is to pray without ceasing. I know it sounds cliche, right? You hear that, read the Bible, pray. But it's true. We need this reminder. Prayer is how we bring ourselves to this awareness of God's goodness. And prayer is simply this habit of interacting with God, calling on him, engaging him, speaking with him. You know it's funny even for my kids who are 4 and 2 when I get home I like to ask them how they're doing what did you do at school today what was fun what was what was scary what was sad and they're like good no fine sometimes they're talkative which is awesome but when I come to them to speak and engage with them it's not out of duty like you need to talk to me and I better you better respond to me but I simply love to be with them. I love to talk with them and I love to hear what they say. I love to hear about their inner world. I love to hear about what made him excited today, what made uh, Judah or Elisha sad, what made them scared maybe. I love to be with them and to hear that. And it's interesting, even when I, as I talk to many of you all, if you're a parent, how often I can hear the phrase like, my kid doesn't say anything, they just say good, fine, no, sure, yes, you know, like one word answers. But when we think about it, how often for all of us in this room, whether you're a kid or adult, all of us as children of God, how often do we actually approach our Heavenly Father in the same way, right? Our Father just loves to be with us, but we're too busy to actually, usually, I know even for my own self, it's hard for prayers to be like longer than 60 seconds sometimes or two minutes, right? I have to really think about and focus and just be with the Lord for my prayers to be longer than that. But God delights in that. And we can go to him in prayer. It says, "Pray without ceasing." Of course, because he loves us. But in the context of this passage, what prayer does is it allows our eyes, our minds, our hearts to shift from thinking about what's right here in front of us, and to actually be lifted up to think about the Lord. It helps bring us into the state of rejoicing. Right? Jesus says it to Peter. Paul says it in Colossians, like the same words, take your mind off earthly things and set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on the things of the Lord. And when we do that, when we refresh that, yes, you are a good father. Yes, you promised to be with me in the midst of my hardship. Yes, you promised me resurrected bodies. You promised that all things work together for good. As we're praying and reminding ourselves of that, we're brought into this state of awareness of God's goodness where we can actually leave prayer rejoicing. Because we're brought to God where we're refocused to wh- what, who God is and what he's done for us. I like this one quote that a commentator described prayer. He says, prayer outside of Christianity usually comes with this typical spirit of manipulation, either to secure a favor or out of duty. But Christian prayer begins with the presupposition that God, our heavenly father, he already loves us and he's eager to give good gifts to his children. See, when we go to prayer, when we pray without ceasing, we go with that posture in mind. And we leave prayer rejoicing because we're reminded of the goodness of God. Now, usually when we're rejoicing, what's interesting is that how often rejoicing is connected to giving thanks. So if you pray and you're reminded of God goodness, oftentimes you express that rejoicing through thanksgiving. So kids, I know we have Christmas coming up probably super excited about Christmas now if you get a present that you really want kids are you excited yeah. there we go we got somebody like thank you Rose thank you Rose now usually if you get a present that you really want what happens after you open it are you just like silent yeah exactly there we go there we go and oftentimes what comes with the yay is it, if, if the presents from your parents you might say thank you, dad, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know for me, when I was not one of the presents that sticks out when I was in sixth grade, I got that OG Xbox, OG Halo 1. And when I opened that present, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, my cousin and I literally played from like 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. straight trying to beat that game. But my rejoicing was expressed in gratitude. And what's really cool is that we actually see, see that in the Greek so sorry for anyone who's like, oh, my gosh, more Greek explanation. But to keep it simple, again, we saw how joyce, rejoicing was related to grace. Rejoicing was this awareness of grace. Well, the word for thanksgiving is to say to acknowledge that grace is good. All right. It's actually the word Eucharist. Right. So this word for thanksgiving is to acknowledge that God's grace is good. And now we can see how all these ideas are. Individual ideas, but it's really cool how they're connected, right? Because rejoicing is being conscious of God's grace, but then thanksgiving is this outward expression of God's grace, and then prayer helps us enter into that state of awareness of God's grace. And so all these things are tied together, and it's obviously, I think, intentional as to why Paul put these phrases and words together. Now, you might be thinking, okay, again, sure, give thanks, but to give thanks in all circumstances— How do I do that in the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my grief, in the midst of the season I'm in? And I would, of course, one, I want to point you back to what I said earlier. But second, another thing that's interesting to note is that Paul does not say to be thankful for all of your circumstances. He calls us to be thankful in all of our circumstances. And that's the difference because we're not going to God and saying, God, I'm so thankful for uh, the fact that my child's in the hospital with this illness. God, I'm so thankful for my parents to be aging and how hard that is to watch them walk through that. We're not thankful for those hardships. But Paul's saying that we still have reasons to give thanks in that hardship. So how do we do that? It looks like, God, I give you thanks that in the face of this trial, I'm not alone. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. It's, God, my burden is so heavy right now, but no matter how great my burden is, you promise me that nothing can separate me from your love that is in Christ Jesus. God, thank you. God, my heart is heavy with despair and grief right now, but you promise that this will be light and compared to the weight of glory when you return. God, thank you. God, I don't see any way out of this darkness. Everything seems horribly wrong, but you tell me that everything will work together For my good and for those who love you. And I love you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this promise. See, that's how we can give thanks in the midst of whatever circumstances we are in. Now, for some, surely we can give thanks for the blessings, but even if it's not blessing, even if it's hardship, we can give thanks in the hardship because of the goodness and promise of God. So as we close, I want to look at the second half of verse 18. Notice that it says, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. It's interesting that Paul grounds these three commands, right? To rejoice, to pray, to give thanks in the fact that it's the will of God for us. And how many of us, in other words, it's not just like a suggestion of like, hey, this is a good idea. You should like rejoice, pray and give thanks. It's actually a central tenet of what it means to be a Christian is to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. And we can think about it this way. If you were to look at chapter 4, verse 3, Paul uses the same language. He says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Right? So he's pointing out another central aspect. And I don't think anyone in here would argue our debate like, yes, if you're a Christian, we're called to holiness. We're called to change. We're called to be more and more like Christ in our thoughts, our words, our deeds. But how many of us would put our joy, would put our gratitude, would put our prayer life on that same level? And it actually shows how amazing God is because it's so easy to think of him as narrow, like follow the commands. He's making he wants to make sure I'm holy. Oh, no, I messed up. He's going to remind me that I'm not holy enough. and I need to try more. Sure, God wants us to be holy because he's holy. He's called us to be more like him. That's where true flourishing comes from. But our God equally cares about how full of joy you are. He equally cares about how full of gratitude you are. He equally cares about prayer, but in the sense that it's us being with him. Our God delights in being with us. He delights in our joy. He delights in our gratitude. And so he calls us to that. Jesus says it himself in John 15. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Our, call to our joy to be full. And so as we go forth entering into this Advent year, as we go into this season where there's this spiritual reminder that we're, we're waiting in darkness for the light of the world to come, especially for him to come again so that all of our despair, all of our grief, all of our agony, all of our stress, all of our anxieties would be fully wiped away. May we do so remembering God's call to us and his word and his reminder to us that we can rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful that you are a loving Father who does not just want us to be obedient. You want us to be joyful, Lord. And we know that we can find joy in you because of who you are, The fact that you're near, the fact that you hear us, the fact that you respond to our prayers, the fact that we get to be with you in eternity with resurrected bodies without sin and grief. God, thank you for the joy that comes from these truths and these promises. Remind us of these as we go forth this day. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.